When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to season two of Off the Post. Yes, it has survived the summer. We are here. It is September, specifically September 12th. It's a Tuesday. And for episode one, Ryan Kennedy, the Hockey News, is here. We had him in for an hour. This guy knows everything about prospects. He's a go-to source for information and analysis regarding the bright young stars in the game of hockey. Follow him at THN Ryan Kennedy on Twitter. That's where you will find all his articles. Uh, he has his own podcast with with the THN guys, so give them uh, a subscription on iTunes as well as off the post. You can find both on iTunes. And without further ado, here is the start of season two. Enjoy. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Kennedy of the Hockey News. Welcome to the Post Media Podcast Layer. Thank you for having me. This is Off the Post. I want to have you in before the start of the season because it seems like we have a special draft class coming up. Special might be overdoing it, but better than last year and the guys at the top will be exciting to watch. And they'll be at the World Juniors. Like They're going to be on full display for everyone. Um, I guess off the top... This draft class going into their draft year, does it seem solid? Does it seem good? Does it seem okay? Does it seem bad? What's a what's a word to describe it? I would say solid. I think what you have are some very nice players that you know their high end is is higher than last year. Um, the, I guess the only concern I have right now is there aren't a lot of dominant centers present, and you know if you're drafting really high, you tend to need that position. But on the other hand, with Rasmus Dahlin, you have a franchise defenseman potential. And and that's also something that we saw you know, with, with the Ottawa Senators and Eric Carlson, just how far you can go in the NHL these days if you have a swift skating puck-moving defenseman. Yeah, and you wrote about this draft class and initial rankings, we'll say, on, on the Hockey News website. And you do mention in there that this is the era of Eric Carlson. You can see it in the players coming through the pipeline. Rasmus Dahlin seems like he's a big Eric Carlson fan and tries to model his game after him and does a pretty good job of it. From my, from what I gather, I'm not uh, I'm not in the rinks, but for anyone out there, Google Rasmus Dahlin on, on or sorry, go to YouTube yeah. and type his name in and the highlight packages are a treat. Certainly. And, you know, I had a chance to speak with Rasmus uh, during the summer, and obviously he said he does watch Eric Carlson. And you look at, I mean, it's easy when you're talking about young Swedish defensemen that, that can move the puck um, to talk about Eric Carlson, but but really we're, we're seeing a lot in this draft class because you have Dolan right at the top and then Adam Boquist, who played for Sweden at the Ivan Holinka tournament, which is you know the great under-18 showcase in August. He's a great puck mover too, and you know he had a fantastic goal where he went right up the gut and uh, and went through a lot of people. And then even Rasmus Sandin, who were 
probably a second rounder, but again, a, a guy that has a lot of skill and mobility to his game. Um, I, I think that's going to be a big trend. And then you look at a kid like Quinn Hughes uh, coming out of Team USA's National Team Development Program. He's going to be a freshman at the University of Michigan. Again, he's not big. He's like five foot nine, but he can really move the puck, and that's quite valuable these days. Is it a defenseman's draft, like, or is it a good mix? Because at the very top, going into the season, it seems like Dolan and then uh, Andre Shveshnikov mm-hmm. are the two horses. I don't know if I'm reading that correctly, but uh, it seems like there might be some drama there in terms of leading up to the draft. What's you know the number one pick team going to do? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you're looking at Svechnikov and Dolan as the the two top right now. And then Joe Valeno uh, with St. John in the Quebec League, he would be the best center. Svechnikov's a winger, powerful kid. Um, There's going to be, I think, a lot of defensemen go pretty high up. I think it's going to be a pretty good mix in that regard. Because, you know, you have Hughes, you have Boquist. Um, Bodie Wild is uh, another NTDP kid. I think he'll go pretty high. Um, Ryan Merkley with the Guelph Storm. Again, an offensive defenseman that can really move the puck. Ty Smith out in Spokane. Another mobile defenseman. Not a huge kid. Uh, same with Merkley. You know, I don't think either of them is six foot. Um, and if they are, they're no taller than that. But quite mobile so you're going to see all those kids sort of in the top 10 top 15 and then you mix in you know philip zadina with halifax brady kachuk who's going to boston university those are some high-end forwards so there's going to be a nice selection for teams to pick from but like i said not a lot of true centers right and that's where it gets interesting because if you're a team at the top of the draft it's pretty rare to pick a defenseman i think the last one would have been ekblad right yes as, it would. as the number one yeah and, I mean, you're not going to pass on a guy like Darlene. Probably not. But it always sort of enters the conversation. Do they want to pick a defenseman they take longer to develop? Uh, do they want to even take a winger because centers are perceived as more important? So that's another sort of storyline, I would I would say. I would think so. And it's funny because I remember in Aaron Ekblad's draft year, I, I wrote a story saying, you know, Aaron Ekblad should go number one, but he won't because he's a defenseman <laughs> and, you know, it'll probably be Sam Reinhardt or, you know, or even Sam Bennett. Um, but in, then, hindsight, in hindsight, not a great top of the draft. Well, Leon Dreisaitl. Okay. He went he third, right? been, Yeah, he's probably the best player from that draft class because, I mean, with Aaron Ekblad having concussion problems, that's yeah. sort of set him back. I don't think Florida's upset with the pick they made based on what he's done on the ice. But, I mean, injuries, what are you going to do? Um, but, I, I mean, I had a GM about halfway through the season say that he would have taken dry saddle first, and it was not an Edmonton GM. Um, but it's it's interesting because Florida did go with Ekblad first overall. And, you know, at, at the time, that was, I mean, it was, that was the right move. And you look at how they built otherwise – you know, getting Barkoff and Huberto and, and then eventually Trocek um, coming up, you needed that defenseman. So I think, you know, whoever's taking the first pick, if things work out the way we think they will, I think Dolan will be the right guy. Brady Kachuk's a guy who interests me on a bunch of different levels. Obviously, his brother plays for the Flames. Dad's ex-NHLer. Um but his decision, you know, to go to Boston University, and I noticed there's a lot of left-handed forwards at the top of the draft. That's sort of an aside, but um, yeah. what do you, what do you think of, of his potential, and what are you hearing from scouts uh, with Kachuk? 
I really like him. Uh, I had a chance to see him live already this year at the World Junior Summer Showcase. He was one of the youngest guys left after Team USA made their cuts. So he was playing in those final games, uh, including the the sort of primetime game against Canada, which Team USA won pretty handily. And he's a late birthday, so you know he's a little bit older as a prospect. And you know, going to the Terriers, he's going to be playing a really nice schedule against older competition. And and it's funny because I ran into Matthew in the stands, and I was talking to him about his brother, and he's like, "Yeah, he's bigger than me, and uh, <laughs> you know, he's probably stronger than me." And you know, Brady plays with the same edge. Um, I don't know if he's as like nasty as Matthew in in that sense. Matthew's kind of like an evil genius out there. I, I love the way Matthew could check. Probably plays. takes too many penalties, but otherwise, probably. But he'll get <laughs> he'll get better at that as time goes on, and he can he'll work the refs. You know, he's you got to remember he's a rookie. But with Brady, you know, he'll take a ton of punishment. At one point in the Canada game, he lost his glove, but he was in front of the net and he wasn't going to move, and he was taking wax. And he just he just stood there. He took it all because he knew that that was his position. And Team USA scored on that shift, partly because he was such a distraction. Uh, and he went off in pain after. But it's that kind of competitive spirit. And he has the talent to go with it. And he's only going to get stronger. And I think there's a ton of potential there on the wing. And he's going to be a fun one to watch. Do, do scouts think that he'll have a better NHL career than Matt? I know it's hard to handicap that but I mean you you've you've talked to scouts in both drafts so they'd have sort of uh, a feel for it does Brady seem like the better one does Matt I think Brady might have the higher ceiling like like I said because he's a little bit bigger um and you know so far I haven't noticed any hitches with his skating that's the only knock on Matthew really is that he's not the greatest skater but he's so smart that obviously he was able to play fantastic possession hockey with Calgary his first year um, I, I think Brady has the higher ceiling. It's just a matter of putting it all together and, of course, giving the kid time to develop and, and sort of not putting too much pressure on him to be his brother right away. Anecdotally, with brothers, it seems like the younger brother's more times than not the better one. I don't know if it's because he played with all the old kids when he was younger, but just off the top of my head, it seems like, uh, I don't know, I don't know. What about you? Because you deal with prospects. This is your prospect expert at THN does it seem like that or am I off well you know that's that is interesting because you know you look at Andrei Svechnikov and his brother Evgeny Svechnikov already in the Detroit Red Wings system um you know Evgeny was a mid-round or you know middle of the first round pick and uh, I I think he's going to be a pretty good pro but with Andre, you're looking at a kid that could be a very big difference maker in the NHL and then I'm thinking about you know, Ryan Suzuki, who just went first overall to the Barry Colts in the OHL draft, people are talking about him already as being, you know, a slightly bigger, slightly better version of Nick Suzuki. I like Nick Suzuki, though. He's oh, really I love Nick Suzuki. Yeah, Vegas took him in the first round. I thought that was a fantastic pick for them. Um, so, you know, people are already saying, you know, Ryan might be better than Nick. So there may be something to that. And then actually another kid up for the draft this year, Ryan McLeod, with the Mississauga Steelheads, right. younger brother of Mikey McLeod, the New Jersey Devils first rounder. I, I'm not going to say that Ryan's better yet because Mikey has some fantastic skills, but Ryan had a really amazing playoff run for the Steelheads. And again, he's a late birthday, so he's going to get a lot of consideration. Um, I think he'll be able to sort of 
you know, make it into the NHL, maybe even faster than his brother because of that late birthday scenario. Um, but there's a lot to like there, and, and he's a center. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how high he goes in this draft. Getting back to the top of the draft. So Dolan is the best defenseman. I don't think there's much debate over that. Sveshnikov, is he the best forward? I would, right now, I would say so. Yeah, I would take him a little bit over Joe Valeno, but that could change based on the fact that Valeno is a center and uh, and he's got pretty good wheels. So I think it's going to come down to what their seasons look like and what sort of potential teams see. Because Svechnikov, he's a really big body. I think he's at least six foot three already. Who's the better goal scorer out of those two? Uh, I would say Svechnikov. Right. He seems like it based on uh, what I've read and, and seen. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to Keith Petrozelli, the uh, Detroit Red Wings draft pick, who's a goaltender, and he played with Svechnikov in USHL Muskegon last season. And he was saying, like, this guy does everything. He's just a beast out there. Best guy I've ever played with. And, uh, you know, goalies, they have a lot of time to, to observe. And I'm sure he <laughs> saw a lot of them in practice. So... Um, you know, you're looking at a pretty complete winger, a guy that goes into the corners, you know, he'll, he'll use his body to make things happen. And he's got some fantastic offensive skills. So it'll be exciting to see what he can do this season. It's also kind of nice to have a Russian pushing the boundaries, you know, pushing the number one, because trying to think off the top of my head, who the, the most recent real blue chipper is from, from Russia. Well, I mean, it was probably... Nile Yakubov. Yeah. So, you know? <laughs> and, and I mean, he could have gone on into to a great career, but he hasn't. So you don't yeah. really think of him. And even even so, he was drafted in 2012. So mm-hmm. the Russians haven't had that real cornerstone guy, I guess you could say, to to build around in regards to World Juniors and maybe the national team down the road. So I do kind of like that storyline where Russia is finally producing this really high end guy. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because there certainly is that Russian factor yeah. that teams talk about where you're not sure if you can get the kid to come over because there is the draw of the KHL and you know the lucrative contracts there. Um, I think we definitely saw that with Clem Costin falling all the way to pick 31 in this most recent draft. And then you look, it's tough because you want to give these kids the benefit of the doubt, but then you look at Valerie Nachushkin, who was great at the World Juniors for Russia, um, during his draft year, but you know Dallas gets his services for sort of a year or two, and then he decides to go back to the KHL for a little more ice time and seasoning. Um, so it's something that you have to acknowledge. And if you're a team picking really high, you know you look at Yakupov, you look at Mikhail Grigorenko, and you you say like, are we really scouting these kids on an even playing field? Is is it too much of a worry, or are we going to go all in and say that's the kid we want? And, uh, you know, I think St. Louis got a steal in Clem Costin, and he's had a very good summer so far, whether it be with the, the Blues rookie camp or at Traverse City, um, where he got off to a fantastic offensive start. And that's, you know, an, an 18-year-old playing in a tournament where you have kids that are already 20, 21 years old. So it's interesting to see which franchises take the risks and, and which ones stay away. All right, let's switch gears and talk about a couple biases surrounding scouting uh, off the top. I feel like Ryan size, the way that the game's gone and the way that young players are entering the league at small sizes, I feel like being tall, especially even, let's talk about defensemen, being tall as a defenseman isn't necessarily a plus anymore. Uh, As you mentioned, 
this is the Eric Carlson era where all of these young kids or a lot of them look up to him. So they focus on skating. They know that they can make it if they're not in, uh, you know, this bulky, tall guy. You look at Carlson, Kurt Letang, you know, Jared Spurgeon, whoever. Um, so I wonder if there's almost like a reverse size bias now where if you're a tall defenseman, you almost have to win over scouts even more because automatically they're going to think, oh, this guy's just, he's just not agile enough or, you know, and, and a lot of them can be good skaters, but a lot of them aren't. Yeah, I think skating is the number one attribute that teams want in a defenseman. I mean, in any player for that matter. I mean, you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like, how many of the Penguins aren't great skaters? Maybe like one or two? Yeah. Um, And and that's where the game is right now. I think... I I love that you mentioned Jared Spurgeon because I think he's a pretty underrated guy. And, you know, he's maybe five foot nine. Yeah, like he's tiny. You look at the Nashville Predators, Ryan Ellis, fantastic playoff run. Not a big guy by any stretch of the imagination. P.K. Subban, even though he's stocky, I mean, he's only six foot. He kind of really. plays a bigger game than he, he really He plays is. a bigger game, but, um, I mean, the reason Nashville was so successful is because they were so mobile on the back end. Their transition game was so good with those guys and Roman Yossi and, you know, Matthias Ekholm. Ekholm's a big guy, yeah. but still, like, you know, he, he can move. And I think that's kind of the template now where if you're looking at young defensemen, it's okay if they're five foot ten, you know, five foot eleven. Kale McCarr. Yeah. You know, not a big guy. I think he's five ten, five eleven, but the way he moves the puck is fantastic. And I think that was the perfect selection for the Colorado Avalanche because they need that guy. In the future, they need defensemen, and that's the kind of guy that's going to get the puck up to the Nathan McKinnons, the Miko Rantanens of the world. Same with Miro Heiskanen going to Dallas as high as he did. Heiskanen is, again, he's, he's maybe six feet tall, but the way he can control a game is just so perfect for what's going on now. And Dallas, I mean, they've been great about stockpiling young defensemen. And, and again, not all of them are, are big guys. Julius Honka, not a big guy. Right. But he gets the job done. And I think we're really seeing sort of an evolution of the position right now where it's not all about clearing out the crease. Yeah, and well, before it was sort of an exception to the rule to have this small defenseman shine and be an impact player. Now it's almost... You know, it's almost the if you see a really big, bulky guy, you're like, who? He looks out of place. He might get the job done, but he just it just doesn't seem right. So, I think of a guy like Logan Stanley. Uh, I believe six five, six six, six seven, six seven. Like yeah. he's a really tall kid, and I just saw him at BioSteel camp, and I'm thinking in my head, I didn't get around to asking him, but I wanted to ask him, like, do you feel like being tall is actually a disadvantage now in in today's NHL? And it seems crazy to think that, but. And he can skate well and everything. Like, maybe he's not the greatest example in the world, but he was, he's just, like, he's a giant. So I wanted to use him uh, um, as a case study, so to speak. Um, but I just, I look around the league, and in the last two drafts, you mentioned Makar, you mentioned Heiskanen. This draft coming up, Dolan, small guy. Yep. So it's, and, and, and if he gets drafted first overall, all of a sudden it's even more accepted. So um, I find it uh, fascinating that. It's kind of been uh, flipped on its side, this this idea of, of the big defenseman. And like you said, I guess skating is, is the bread and butter or the required trait as opposed to 
a decade or two ago, it was, is this kid big? Okay, let's put him on defense. Yeah, and I mean, another great example of that is Nick Haig, who ended up going right. in the second round uh, to Vegas. Uh, you know, he's six foot five, um, but right now he is still figuring out balance. He's That's kind of the, still a lanky, gangly guy. He's a lanky guy, but there's also sort of like the way he skates, he needs to uh, get stronger in his lower body. Because, and I found this fascinating. This is why I love talking to scouts because they're so much smarter than I am when it comes to the game. One of them, his critique of Nick Haig is that Haig's a bit of a bow-legged skater. So at the junior level, it's not really a problem because he has so much mass that he's not going to get knocked off the puck that much. But at the pro level and the NHL level, guys are going to be able to knock him off the puck very easily because he doesn't have that balance in his lower body. So that's the challenge for Nick in the next couple of years. And I'm sure that he'll work on that. That'll be a priority. But that's the reason he wasn't a first rounder is scouts look at that skating and say, okay, well, we, we love that you're six foot five. We love that you got a bomb shot. You can play both ways, but there are some issues to work on. Whereas you look at, you know, Rasmus Dahlin for an example, you know, he's all quote unquote, only six foot one. But he looks way, smaller than six. You know what I mean? He it's, does. He doesn't have like a big bulky frame. Yeah. But I mean, you give him the puck and he'll go all the way up the ice with it. Well, with Nick Hag, like I can just imagine a GM or a scout thinking in their head at this point in time, if we put him in the pros, he's going to be on the wrong end of highlight reel goals where maybe he's on the blue line, fumbles the puck and the guy just runs him over and goes on a breakaway. Like I would imagine that that GMs and scouts have uh, have thoughts like that where it's like. What kind of, you know, what kind of situations will this guy fail at mm. at this point in his career, and can he overcome that? Because, let's face it, there are only so many spots in the pro ranks, and you don't want to waste a first round pick on a guy that's a maybe, right? Yeah, and again, you know, with blue liners, there's always the expectation that they take a little bit longer to develop than forwards. So, I mean, the the great thing about Nick Hague is that you know he can he can iron those things out. It's a problem that he can fix. But it is interesting that you know the Vegas Golden Knights, the franchise that took him, took five foot ten Eric Bronstrom in the first round, and I loved the Bronstrom pick because that's another incredibly gifted offensive defenseman, and he was another player that really stood out to me uh, at the World Junior Summer Showcase in Michigan, where you know I, I, I'd be looking down at the numbers and he you know he'd be leading the rush I'm like oh what forward is that it's like <laughs> oh no that's Eric Bronstrom again leading the rush doing great things for the Swedes and you know I mean he still plays with the, the game with an edge and he's got great stick work so he's not a liability in his own end it's just it's a new way of thinking about the position that I think we're we're figuring it out and um you know I I don't think that the Logan Stanleys and Nick Higgs of the world are, are dinosaurs by any stretch of the imagination, but I think their benefits will come in more of a shutdown role at the NHL level where they can use their reach. And, uh, you know, as one more aside, I remember watching Nick Hague at the CHL Russia series last year. And right. they, they paired him with Victor Mete, the Montreal Canadiens defenseman, who, again, is probably five foot eleven at the most, um, but a, a fantastic day, skater. Yeah, a modern-day defenseman. You put Haig and Mete together, it was a great pairing because Haig could be the shutdown guy, Mete was the puck carrier, and there's sort of a nice little odd couple vibe going, but it really worked. I'm curious. I've always wondered this about 
you and, and other prospect writers, um, when you go to Holinka, when you go to World Junior Showcase, the World Juniors, under-18s, are you, like, in scout mode or are you looking for a good story? Because I know you talk to a lot of scouts and that that's part of your process, but do you consider yourself also a talent evaluator to an extent? To an extent, uh, I, I would say I would always defer to the scouts, but, it, you know, when I'm at these tournaments – what I'm looking for are, you know, kids that stand out and then I can I can use those kind of hunches to go to the scouts afterwards and say, hey, what do you think about this kid? I, I thought he looked pretty good. What's your book on him? You know, just as a recent example with the Ivan Halenka watching the Swedes, you know, they got a kid, Philip Hollander, uh, who I thought just from, from my viewings looked like a pretty good big okay. forward. And so when I go and talk to my European scouts, I'm like, hey, is there anything to Philip Hollander? And they're like, yeah, you know, he looks like he could be like maybe a top 50 guy right now. Here's what he's good at. Here's what he needs to work on. So you get those little cues. I think when it comes to the narratives and the stories, that's more something that happens, you know, talking to agents and advisors or just sort of doing the research on kids where, you know, you're going to talk to them after the games or the the morning skates are sort of the better access for that because they're not totally focused on what just happened. But that's where you kind of get the color and the nice kind of stories where, you know, it's like, what did your parents do? Where'd you grow up? You know, that sort of thing. What what kind of town is this? Um, When you're just sort of watching the game, I think you're looking for kind of skills and you're looking for, you know, how they can control a game and just trying to pick up little things that, you know, I can go to the scouts and say, here's what I was thinking Am I on the right track here? Yeah, and if we can spin our wheels forward a bit to the upcoming Calder class, I had Luke Fox of Sportsnet and uh, Josh Cloak of The Athletic in a few weeks ago. And we talked about the, the Calder class, but I want to have your take on it just because this is this is your job is to follow prospects. Um, who are your front runners? Um, because this is... A class that's wide open. I don't think there's, well, there isn't a quote-unquote generational player in this class. And there's, I don't know, probably a handful that you could really uh, get behind uh, to start the season. And there's a bunch of variables involved. But uh, what's your take in September? Well, my front runner right now would be Clayton Keller in Arizona. I think he has the right conditions to be a Calder winner. You know, in terms of his game, ultra skilled, ultra smart, great skater. But he also has the benefit of playing on a young team that where expectations are not high and there are a lot of good jobs up for grabs. So if Clayton Keller were to get, you know, 18 minutes right off the hop in a top six role, maybe he even gets some power play time, it wouldn't shock me. And I think that puts him in a position to get the kind of offensive numbers that usually win a player the Calder. So, you know, Keller could have 55, 60 points this year. You know, maybe he's the top scorer amongst rookies, and that would probably ice it for him. And, and you know, even though Arizona is not a strong team right now, they have some nice young offensive weapons. So, you know, if you're putting him with a Max Domi, a Christian Dvorak, um, you know, you've got Oliver Eggman Larson who's going to run the power play. 
I, I think he's going to have weapons to play with, and he's going to have opportunity to get points. And this is a player that always seems to play a rung up, whether it was with the NTDP, whether it was with Boston University. He just seemed to be going in fast forward. So I think he'll be able to hit the ground running. It's usually the player who scores the most points or records the most points that ultimately wins the Calder if you go back through the years. But I think Charlie McAvoy, as a defenseman, has a very real chance at this. And I, if I were to, to, to bet on a guy, it would be Keller. Um, but I think McAvoy's probably the number two in my eyes. Uh, he had his taste in the playoffs, no less, uh, last season. Uh, hasn't looked out of place anywhere he's played. Uh, everyone saw what he did at the World Juniors. He was next to maybe Thomas Shabbat, who also might be a Calder candidate, uh, was probably the best defenseman at that tournament. Um, but I think just having the seasoning of of being in the playoffs, um, being around Zidane Chara, and he's spoken about this uh, since, that having, you know, I don't know how many games he played, I think it was nine or so, Having that under his belt and going into training camp, already knowing everyone, there's no sort of rookie uh, trial or rookie orientation. He's just he's part of the team, essentially. Um, and he's just rock solid, two-way guy. Um, I think there's a real chance there, especially as, you know, Chara gets older. Um, they have Krug and, and Carlo, but, like, they're not – they could probably use him in their top four. What do you think of McAvoy? Yeah, I would say that McAvoy would be kind of like the... I, I would agree with you. He would be the, the second candidate. He played 26 minutes in the playoffs. Yeah, well, that's the thing, that's right? He wasn't, he wasn't just thrown out there yeah. uh, every fifth shift or something. Yeah, they were not hiding him. Shift. Yeah, they were not hiding him at all. And what I've, what I've always liked about Charlie is that he plays with confidence. He tries things that other players wouldn't try, and most of the time it pays off. Uh yeah, I loved what you said about Char. I, and we know that Char is going to be a Hall of Famer, but he is slowing down, and he's he's not the most mobile guy. McAvoy, again, almost going back to, to Hagen Mete, this, is, this could be sort of the NHL version of it, where we know Zdeno Chara can be a great shutdown player. He can give Charlie McAvoy the freedom to rush up the ice because McAvoy knows he's got one of the most intimidating forces in the history of the game back there just in case things go squirrely. So I think McAvoy is going to play a lot of minutes. Uh, I think he definitely has the potential to get a good amount of points. And this could be one of those scenarios where voters look and say, you know, McAvoy comes within 10 points of Clayton Keller. If McAvoy is playing 24 minutes a night and he's a defenseman, I think you might see him get the nod because the, the sort of raw offensive totals aren't too far off. But the contributions he's making overall are, are that much greater. And if I were to make a second tier in this color class, it might have Brock Besser. And that'll depend yeah. on a lot on playing time. Um, because there's even some talk in Vancouver that he might not even get a regular shift. You know, they're they're bringing Scotty Upshaw on a PTO, Ryan White on a PTO. They're sort of, they're, they're like stockpiling these veterans. I don't know if they're all going to stay, but... Maybe Besser, for whatever reason, is the odd man out. So we'll see what happens there. But he has shown uh, the potential to to be an NHL player. Um, and then there's Nolan Patrick. But there's, I mean, it, it's almost cliche now. But there's sort of injury um, issues there. He he had an, an infection, I believe it was, in the summer. Yeah. 
um, Nico Hischer, and then I mentioned before Shabbat and Ottawa. Those are, if I bring them all together, that's a, a, a group of six that I, I think are the real uh, upperclassmen, I'll say. I don't know if you have anyone else to add or, or comments about the guys that I brought up late here. Yeah, I, I really like Brock Besser. I wouldn't be too concerned about the PTOs in Vancouver. I think it's, for a team that has a lot of young guys, it's good to bring in those veterans so that sure. the young guys know in training camp that nothing is guaranteed. And, you know, I mean, the the chemistry that, that Besser found with Bo Horvat and Sven Berchi, I think that was a great start, you know, once he got in those couple of games at the end of the year. Um, the other name to keep in mind for is is Alex DeBrinkett in Chicago. Right, of course. And it's an interesting scenario because we know Chicago's got some great veteran scorers, but they also have a bit of a depth problem, particularly with Marion Hosa missing the season. I know Brandon Saad's coming back, but Alex DeBrinkett is such a pure scorer. He's so talented and he's so smart when he's in the offensive zone. For me, at least... It's not crazy to think that he could play on a line with Jonathan Taves and maybe Brandon Saad where Dabrinkit's the guy that you forget about until it's too late. And that, that's kind of what he was in Erie, right? Totally. It, even though he became, you know, a prolific, like historically prolific goal scorer in the OHL, even going into his last year, he was, you know, playing with Dylan Strom or, you know, Taylor Radish or, or whoever, but he would he would sneak in and just find that spot. He set up. Boom! It's in the back of the net. Like he's he's not gonna necessarily beat you one on one, but he's very smart. I guess hockey sense would would be his one of his his yeah. best attributes. And he just he just scores. Like at, at the end of the day, sometimes you can just say that about guys. Like he just he scores fifty goals every year. <laughs> yeah, literally, and pretty incredible that he was able to do that in the OHL. The thing about Debrinket is that historically already it's funny saying historically when you're talking about a yeah, kid yeah. he's like 20 years old <laughs> but he can play with the best players in the game played with Connor McDavid played with Dylan Strom at the World Juniors um well they cut him the year before they oh, cut him yes. when he made the team he had a rough tournament yeah. um he got kicked out of one game he got hurt but at the start of the tournament he played with Austin Matthews and he was great with Austin Matthews um so Patrick Kane <laughs> could be Patrick Kane, could be Jonathan Taves. Yeah. I, I think he can play on that top six role right away. And, you know, the last year in Erie, helping them go all the way to the Memorial Cup final, he rounded out his game. So he's not going to be, you know, a, a total liability in the defensive zone. But the benefit is if you're playing with some of those Hawks, you know, like a Taves or, you know, Artem Anisimov, you know, you don't have to be Patrice Bergeron. You can focus on what you do best at least in that rookie season and that's putting the puck in the net and I think you know if he can show well in training camp then there is that opportunity in Chicago and if you're getting that opportunity you could really cash in so his old teammate with the Otters Dylan Strom he's also Calder eligible a guy that you know well documented drafted after Connor McDavid they were teammates has destroyed the OHL like I think he has over 300 points in his career um obviously he's graduating to the at least the AHL most likely the NHL do you think do you think uh there's there's a possibility of him being in the conversation because he's shown he can put up a ton of points and we know that the Calder is based on that um and he's in Arizona presumably he'll get ice time 
but there's still like sort of a cloud of uncertainty around him because of his skating and 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 whatnot. Like it's different going from OHL where you can dominate at a slow pace to the NHL where you have to be unless you're maybe Joe Thornton mm-hmm. <laughs> have to be uh, very quick. Well, and keep in mind Joe Thornton's first NHL season was a, That's a disaster, true. right? Yeah. Same with Vincent LeCavalier. With those big kids, sometimes it takes a little longer and. It, Dylan Strom's going to be very interesting because, as I said before, you know, Arizona's got a lot of great young talent up front. Now, I look at Dylan Strom, and, you know, because he's a smart kid, because he's very detail-oriented and can play that two-way game, I think that at this point, if he's not scoring at the NHL level, I think they could still use him um, maybe in more of a two-way okay, role. Okay, I hadn't thought of that. And and maybe that's how he eases into things where it's okay if he only gets 25 points his first NHL season because you have a guy like Clayton Keller who maybe makes more of an offensive impact. But with Dylan Strom, you know, maybe he's killing a little penalty for you. You know, maybe he's just, you know, playing a bit of a pseudo shutdown role and getting minutes. And, you know, you look at another big kid, Lawson Krause in Arizona, who – you know, he's got a great physical dimension to his game. So it's okay if Lawson Krause isn't putting up 50 points in his first rookie season because Lawson Krause can do other things for you. Maybe Dylan Strom does go to the AHL and, you know, plays that top-line role, that top-six role right away with the Tucson Roadrunners. That's okay. I think it's tough when a kid goes so high. You want him to contribute right away. But, you know, I remember talking to Dylan a couple of years ago for our Future Watch issue, and he said, you know, look, I, you know, I got sent back to junior. That's okay. Like, I intend on having a long career. I've really only been playing at this elite junior level for two years now. This is just the beginning, and I think he's got the right attitude. I'm, I, I mean, I know he wants to be a big-time contributor in the NHL, but he's got the right kind of mindset where he knows it's a process and I'm sure he's going to continue to work on his skating as much as he can. In the meantime, he's got to do the little things to help out whatever team he's on. Yeah, I just remember, you know, he gets drafted so highly, and I don't know, it kind of always bothers me the whole expectations placed on first-rounders. And the flip side of that is I think teams hold on to first-rounders maybe longer than they should. It's almost like... Uh, the GM or the, the head scout is justifying picking them in the first round when maybe it's like three years into into their career as a pro and they're still toil- toiling in the AHL and just it's not going to work out, yet they keep signing them to, you know, one-year, two-year deals. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever talked about this with, with hockey people, uh, their attraction to, to former first-rounders. But once you're a first-rounder, you're like – Mind you, the expectations are high, but you're sort of set within that organization. You're going to be given, presumably, in most situations, a better opportunity than, I don't know, the fourth rounder who is doing well, but he's just not a first rounder. Organizations certainly fall in love with their own guys. And, you know, for for some teams, it's it's been to their detriment. Um, you, you really need to find that that good mix for your for your squad and you know in some cases guys just need a little longer to to become the nhl as we think they will be sometimes they they just don't work out and you need to be able to to pull that trigger 
And I, I like, think par- I think part of it is pride, right? It's like oh, for sure. We, we've invested like you know. Oh yeah. You know, first round picks are you're you're on the clock. You know, get you yeah. know you're announcing it at your table or at the podium, whatever it is. Uh, it's on TV. Like you know, he, he gets the jersey. He goes through the whole Batman handshake. Like there's this whole process, and then at the end of the day, it's like if two years down the road he's just not working out, we got to say goodbye. Um, that's kind of tough to swallow. If if you're a scout, if you're a GM, whoever was sort of fighting for this guy, and if that person who was fighting for that guy has power, he might go, no, we're going to give him another chance because you know we believe in him. But everyone else might be rolling their eyes, going, like, dude, it didn't work out. Let's move on. Yeah, and when you're when you're selecting that high, I mean, it, it has the chance to turn your franchise around. I mean, Edmonton things didn't click until they got Connor McDavid first overall. Toronto was the same. Things didn't happen until they got Austin Matthews. I think Buffalo, you know, with Jack Eichel, they they certainly have that potential. They need they have some other holes they need to fill, but a healthy Eichel, I think, is going to be fantastic for them. But the other thing to remember is like. You look at, like, Seth Jones got traded. And it's not because Seth Jones was bad, but it was because, you know, Nashville needed Ryan Johansson, and that was the price. Jonathan Duran, Jonathan Duran got yeah. traded. You know, we might see Ryan Murray get traded out of Columbus uh, if they need a different fit there. So it happens. And sometimes it's because the player hasn't lived up to expectations. And sometimes it's just that, you know, you got to trade talent to get talent. All right, as a last topic, uh, this has been in the news the last couple weeks because of Pat LaFontaine. Uh, I believe it's his idea, the 19-year-old draft. I don't know how much thought you've put into this, but at least on paper, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, at least in this era. I mean, this is the era of the 18-year-old rookie coming in, and and maybe it's just the fact that you know we've had the McDavid's and Eichel's and uh, Matthews come through the system, but nevertheless, it's a very young league now. Why bring uh, the draft age up a year? Um, so, yeah, for anyone who hasn't heard, there's rumblings that that maybe down the road the NHL considers raising the draft age from 18 to 19. What do you think of that, Ryan? I actually have thought about this a lot. Well, because, I, because I, it, it, it it's either you had thought about it a lot or, or you well. hadn't thought about yeah. it at all. <laughs> uh, I get like irrationally angry about it. I think it's like one of the worst ideas around right now. And it it's not only because we've seen 18-year-olds succeed in the NHL recently, but there's two things. First of all, it's restriction of trade. You can't tell an 18-year-old that they can't work for a living when you do when you already had that and even if a even if a player doesn't make the NHL in their first year if they sign their contract they're getting a signing bonus so all of a sudden you're if you have a 19 year old draft you're taking a kid and you're sending him back to major junior most likely I mean he might go to college but if he's in major junior he's making gas money and that's like you know, he's beginning the prime of his career. You're telling him, no, you can't make any money this year. You got to wait another year. Whereas now, even if he gets sent back, he gets that signing bonus, which could be, I mean, it's always in five figures. It's usually in the, you know, $90,000 range. He's being paid what he should, you know, as, as an elite athlete who has spent years, you know, training and, and, and performing at a high level. And you obviously have, you know, high expectations for him. And, I, I just think that you you can't put the horse back in the barn at this point. 
legally, it just doesn't seem to make any sense to me. I, I feel like it's violating a labor law. Well, and wouldn't, like, let's just say top prospects. Let's say the, the 15 best prospects that are 18. Wouldn't their agents just start calling Europe and go, like, oh, this guy's yeah. 18. I don't, like, if he's not, he's not drafted yet, so he can just do whatever he wants. So all of a sudden, they're doing what Austin Matthews did at 17. Uh, with a bunch of guys, and all, and then the NHL runs the risk of losing those guys. Maybe Switzerland becomes this like hotbed for prospects, and maybe some guys don't want to leave, and they mm-hmm. lose. I mean, like I'm, I'm thinking way down the road, but like the NHL is the best league in the world, and I would imagine they don't want to lose any, any component of it. Um, for sure, I, like the way you describe it, it sounds like it's basically the t- it, it benefits the NHL teams. And maybe that's it. Like, who who else would benefit from a nineteen? I guess I guess major junior teams. The but. CHL, yeah, the NHL and the CHL are the only people that benefit from this. And I, I get it from the NHL's perspective, where you know, if you get another year to see a kid, then you're more sure of what right. he'll be. But tough. Like that's why you have scouting staffs. The scouting staffs are really good figure out which kids are going to project to be NHLers. The scouting staffs that fail are the bad teams. And it's like, if you take a bust, you know, fourth, fifth overall, too bad. Get better scouts. Make better decisions. Yeah, I just, I don't know how it's uh, gaining much traction, but it seems like, like, I know it's been brought up in the past, and it always seems to revolve around Pat Lafontaine. Um, And I don't know if it's, it's like his project or his baby, but... He seems to uh, have a face to it, but it seems bizarre. And I, I don't know if 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 meeting in the middle is is they have an exception rule where maybe first rounders are allowed to play at eighteen, and then that also creates you know more of a mess in terms of like at the draft being a first rounder is extra important. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it it seems like an unnecessary move and. I think the players already don't have great rights. You know, they can't become UFAs till I believe they're like twenty seven. Yep. I mean, <laughs> now they're they're forced to to have one more year uh, in amateur, uh, quote unquote amateur, and can't like you said make money even off a signing bonus unless they go to Europe. But mm. I mean, I not not to cry foul for or to cry uh, you know poor for players because they do end up making a lot of money. But the system as it's set up already isn't great for them. No, and, you know, I, I'm sure Pat LaFontaine has the best of intentions. I think, you know, they say, like, oh, it's too much pressure on the kids and they should have time to develop. But, I mean, there's pressure on kids from the time they're, like, 13, maybe even before that when they're playing AAA hockey. So I don't think you can use that as an excuse. I just think that you have the talent. You have to let these kids make money because they've earned it just like every other hockey player. And maybe you can do some exceptions, but then what happens to the exceptions? The exceptions. Ryan O'Reilly made Colorado and uh, straight from the second round of the draft. Or I think Saad did too, Brandon Saad. Uh, or he, maybe he was a 19-year-old, but he yeah. went from second rounder to the NHL fairly quickly. Yeah, pretty quickly. You're right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if <laughs> if this happens and I'm the KHL, I'm expanding to yeah. England as soon as possible and saying, yeah, you're a top NHL draft pick or a draft prospect come over here you don't have to learn another language you get to live in a cool you know british city play hockey with some fellow young guys it would be like the wha back in the 70s where they were getting like michelle goulet before the nordiques did because he could play there before he was draft eligible and that was actually part of the impetus of the nhl dropping the draft in the first place was they were losing all this talent so i don't know why you would go back and think it won't happen again 
It's very puzzling. We'll see how it develops. And I actually lied before. I have another topic that I want to end on. It's it's a fun topic. What's your or who are your favorite prospects around the NHL already drafted or or maybe that they, they haven't been drafted yet? But I don't know. Maybe you really like their name because there's a lot of fun names out there. Maybe you they play a unique style. Uh, maybe they have a compelling story. Like, are there any guys? They could be a seventh rounder that you're just like, I can't wait for this guy to to make it, or or I think he's gonna make it, or someone who's really underrated. Well, a couple of kids come to mind that I'm I'm pretty fascinated by right now. Uh, the first is Alexi Lapanov, who was drafted by Tampa Bay this year. Um, he's playing with uh, Shvashnikov, right? He, yeah, they they've both committed to the Barry Colts. So fun for me. That should be fun. Because yeah. I live in Ontario, and uh, I can go to Barry Colts games uh, if I don't mind the, the traffic going up there. Um, Lapana, very smart kid. I watched him at the World Junior A Challenge. I thought he was really good. Um, yeah, I had one scout say he plays kind of an Igor Larionov game. You know, he's Interesting. Just really good, you know, really good line mate. He was Svechnikov's center at that tournament. And they played together internationally a couple of times, actually, so... The fact that they're together in Barry, I think that'll be really fun. Um, the other guy is Dylan Sandberg, who was taken by the Winnipeg Jets, and he's just a big physical defenseman, but he has an offensive you know, component to his game. He can certainly put up points. Played Minnesota High School last year for the, uh, the Hermantown Hawks, who there's a... The Minnesota State High School Tournament is like a huge right. deal. They play it at the Minnesota Wilds Arena. They always sell out. Well, that's why Casey Middlestat went Casey Middlestat went there. That's why he went back. Now, Casey Middlestat, he played for Eden Prairie. They're like the like the big school division, but there's also the small school division. And uh, and, and Dylan Sandberg's team won the small school division okay. last year. Um, so he's headed to the University of Minnesota Duluth. And uh, I think he's just a, he's a fun kid to see what he can do because there's a lot of potential. There, he's he's mobile, but he's big and he's got a great shot. So you know he's a bit raw right now, but I think he could be like a really good prospect down the road. And so those are two kids that I'm going to keep my eye on. Okay, all right, Ryan, thanks for coming on off the post. It was uh, it was a pleasure. Definitely, thanks for having me.